Hey, Carol. Hi there, Lucy. Thanks for being right on time. Sure. Yeah. I have to go put on my lip gloss. I'm oh, right my goodness. Back. Okay. You already gussied up. Okay, hand cream. Yep, got it. <laughs> Thank Kleenex. you for being here and uh, for doing this. Michael's here with me. Uh-huh. Hi, Michael. And, uh, I know that Donna Lee is coming. Yes. And uh, I, I am look, looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, no, we, this is the 10 of three. We get together. Oh, okay. Bye. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, I've been on Zoom quite a bit this week and this morning because um, Ibutwa is, has just voted to dissolve as an organization. Oh, that's too bad. It, it, it is too bad, but um and I have yet to do any writing about it. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're assembling our last uh, newsletter. Um, there's some very uh, good things about, it's the best closing of an organization that I could mm -hmm. ever, that I could ever imagine. We have um, funds in hand that are gonna pay for 78 kids to go to school for two more years. Wow, that's terrific. Um, yeah. yeah. Here comes Donna. She's early. Uh -huh. Hi, Donna. Hi, Donna. <laughs> you want me to kick you back out? <laughs> Hi, Carol. Hi, Donna. <laughs> Welcome to the group, huh? Well, we're early. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What a day. I have not stepped foot outside, but I heard from oh, my it is really cold. I haven't even gotten my mail yet. I'm like, no, I'm not going out there. Although I did <laughs> see like the you birds. You have to walk down to the end of the street, huh? I yeah. noticed that the, the bird's feeder was empty. So I took pity. I did go out and feed the birds. That was <laughs> kind of you. Yeah. <laughs> Carol, do you feed the birds so your cats have entertainment? No, nope, we don't <laughs> feed them. We used to when we lived in oh, the last house right across the woods on the other side mm -hmm. of the woods here. Uh, but it's just more work. You know, we wanted to simplify. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I did not do it for, well, we've lived here since 1997 and I had a feeder up once or twice. Mm -hmm. But this year I decided that it would be cheering to do it totally for mm -hmm. selfish reasons. For me, not for the birds. <laughs> and uh, we, I've discovered that there's a whole flock of robins that hang out in the woods behind our house. Hmm. They have no interest in the feeders, but they, um, you know, it's just made me more aware of what's out and around. 
Yeah. I guess they eat, the ones who winter over eat like fruit and berries and stuff. Seeds. You know, yeah. Rotting apples on trees or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. how, how do they make it? Well, they eat seeds. They flower do? seeds. Tree yeah. seeds. Yeah. I, I read that the, uh, mostly the female bird benefits the most from being fed. Hmm. For whatever well, reason. That's so, unusual. <laughs> I, felt, I felt it was important for their survival. <laughs> yeah, survival of the species. That's important. yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Apparently, the males get by better in in the winter than the females do. So, huh. it's primarily the females that need the food. Oh, so, interesting. I never yeah. heard that. Yeah, I, I read that just recently. That. Yeah, hmm. I, I get this. I donated. I donated to uh, one of the wildlife magazines um, because they were, if you donated, you got this free blanket with a cardinal on it. And of course I'm partial to the cardinals because <clears throat> of Bob, well, it's a long story. But anyway, so that year I donated and now I get this wildlife magazine and I think I read it in there, which they have beautiful <laughs> photographs in. Oh my God, Yeah, just beautiful. Yeah, I've enjoyed your photos, Lucy, from your bird feeder. Oh, thank you, yeah. I've been you know, there's my friend, Eric, um, Eric Lazarus is an Audubon person and mm. he's like a serious Audubon, Audubon mm -hmm. person. He's one of the people up on Snake Mountain. There's some oh. carnivorous yeah. bird that they huh. keep an eye, watch over the nest to make sure, you know, I mean, he's just, he's seriously into it. He does the Christmas bird count every year uh -huh. and uh -huh. So whenever I post something, I'm like I saw a new bird, he's like common, one of the most common. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care. It's so beautiful. All right, Lucy, check it off your life list. <laughs> yeah, you know who's into birding? Not that serious, but will will travel and do vacations around birding is Bill Whitman. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. flowers Very and birds. Bird. Yeah. Uh, bir yeah, flowers and birds. He's a master gardener, a trained mm -hmm. master gardener. Mm -hmm. but he's also into birds you see i'm into gardening too but bill and i are very different his gardens have like space in between the plants like there's a yeah. there's a plant and then there's space yeah and there's another plant yeah mine are like all mushed together <laughs> i love forget me not so they've taken over yeah. a whole section <laughs> i like them for filling space yeah if you if you were to see his garden at in Greensboro at their camp in Greensboro, you would just die. Yeah, you would go back and say, "Oh, I mean, I thought I was into flowers and I thought I was a gardener, but no, I don't think so." <laughs> oh, God, you you're a million more times more disciplined as a gardener than me. <laughs> Judy you says, also have some space. He comes home with truck truckload of stuff from the perennials you know garden places and and she mm -hmm. says you know what am I going to do she said he's he doesn't drink he doesn't smoke he <laughs> doesn't gamble he's not into other women he's just into flowers so right. how can you complain about that you know <laughs> right that's a cool thing yeah so as a consequence she said I have fresh flowers in, on my table all the time you know <laughs> oh boy that's wonderful yeah. welcome Judy Hey, Judy. Hey, Judy. Are you on mute? Oh, she's getting herself organized there. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
love the expressions while people yeah. are getting it figured <laughs> isn't out. It isn't it great? Hey, Bruce. Hey, Bruce. Bruce. <laughs> Bruce, I see your finger. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we hey, were Bruce. just talking about what a beautiful day it is. It's so cold, but also the sun was out earlier. <laughs> yeah, well, this the sun was the only one brave enough to come out. <laughs> I think it's been like four <clears throat> times since Thanksgiving. The sun has been like super shiny, you know, like you have to find your sunglasses. And... Oh, I went out the other day to get my mail and it almost blinded me. I'm like, oh my God, what is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh marcia's okay. coming consultant um hi kara <laughs> hi there how you doing judy good hi janice janice hi lucy hi maggie yeah, hi judy <laughs> Got maggie yep maggie and janice Well, this is a good group. Yeah, we got not we even got, three. Now we got sound. Oh, here's Patty. Hi, we got sound now. Hey. <laughs> Hi, Patty. Hi, Patty Thomas. Hey, Patty. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello, Carol. Hello there, Patty. Hi, Carol. Good afternoon. Hi. <laughs> There's Maggie. Hi, Maggie. There's Maggie's here. She's here. All Maggie right. and Janice. Oh, Maggie. Yeah. Good to see you, Maggie. Who said that? I don't know. I did. Got to move over. So Hi. Yep. That's what they want you to move over so that you can get in the picture. Yeah, I can only see half of your face. Yeah, see? <laughs> there. <laughs> there. There. There you go. Good. Scared yet? And uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mike is here to keep Hi, Michael. Oh, discipline. Oh, that's not the only man. <laughs> he's got he's got the phone here to keep track of the time. And he, uh, off to the side, he flaps <clears throat> it at me. <laughs> uh, the timekeeper. Two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of us. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, okay, you're on, Lucy. Well, it's not, it's just three o'clock. So we might have a couple more people. We have to wait for them to arrive. I'm muting, I'm, I'm muting me. Oh, you go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the cruelty and harshness of spirit seekers. <laughs> what was that meeting we were on, Lucy, the other night? And, and um, was it David Wright who said, well, I guess we better start with the meeting before we keep enjoying each other too much. And I thought, well, <laughs> wouldn't that be a crime? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Lucy. Exactly. I miss the, the church in the hallway, you know, that really, really casual part of church. Yeah. yeah. I miss that. Yeah, me too. How are you doing, Patty? <clears throat> I, I'm doing all right. Had a COVID test today, so I'm getting ready for my next surgery. <laughs> oh boy. <Yeah. laughs> so I'm home. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. So, in touch with anything you need, Patty. Absolutely. I, I know where my team is. <laughs> yeah, good. 
good. Do you need any meals, Patty? I don't at this point. Um, next week, I have a friend bringing meal down, and uh, we'll see how long my husband lasts after my next surgery. <laughs> you let me know, won't you? You'll Thank let you, me know. Janice. I, I will do that. Thank you. Carol, where's your hat? <laughs> my hat? Yeah. From your picture. From your picture. Oh, where Did is it? It's downstairs. That picture is lovely. Uh, Carol at Hurricane Irene yeah. cleanup day. Yeah. <laughs> that was back when Jonathan New was with us. Oh, a long time ago. It's a great picture. It's a great picture. I thought it was very contemporary because of the mask. It is. Definitely. Definitely. Most of the pictures oh, of Carol of her painting in the church somewhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh -huh. exactly. That's right. Exactly. It, it is a good picture, Carol. I like it. Thank you. Of course, it's a good picture, Janice. I took it. Come Absolutely, on. Lucy. Absolutely. I'll not forget the first three years I was at the church. Every photo that was taken of my me, I was feeding myself. Said, okay, put, enough of that. We put an end to that. Here comes Libby Ivy. Oh, no. She's joining us. Okay, Libby. <laughs> yeah, I um, I've done a, I did one workshop on church photography, and I said, mm -hmm. no, do not take pictures of people eating. <laughs> or the other thing that happens in church photography a lot is people bending over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Not allowed. Absolutely against oh, the rules. No. Hi, Libby Ivy. Hi, Libby. Hi. Nice to see you all. That is warmer in Rhode Island, huh? No, well, I guess it's warmer, but I wouldn't say it because it doesn't feel it. Okay. <laughs> it's so windy here. Is it windy up there because it is bit. freezing wind? Yeah. Down yes, it is. Yeah. I don't yeah, know, the wind. Libby, because I don't go outside anymore. <laughs> oh. Are you staying at the church? <laughs> no, I haven't moved into the church. No, I this is my kitchen. This is my sphere. This is it. We, most of the uh, church staff are working from home uh, most of the time. Um, the Carol, Caroline, Catlin goes into the office sometimes or if there's a specific reason for her to go in. Otherwise, all the church calls go to her phone. And Alyssa's in and out, uh, depending on whether she has to do recording and technology. It's really um, differentiating between work and your life when you don't go into the workplace. It, it, it's everything. You know, it's, it's really intertwined. I don't know if you've all had, had a chance to look at the annual report yet. But, um, no. Uh, it just came. It's yeah, it's linked in the um, in the newsletter, and just take time with it. There, beautiful letter from Alyssa, Caroline Crawford, great reports from our teams, and you know this is it. it there, it's a different that people are working from home, but the addition that we are doing so much more programming in many ways than we yeah. ever have before, <laughs> and um, there's just there've been a lot of challenges to to be 
where we are now. I mean, look at all of us just yeah. on time for a Zoom. Everybody yeah. knows how to use it. So yeah. That that took a little time. Where can we get some, where can we see the uh, the uh, paper? The annual report is yeah. online, but it is possible to get a printed copy. And in fact, I'm on, um, it's on my list to deliver one for you and one for Maggie next week. Oh, okay. How do you like them apples? We like it, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if anybody wants the printed copy uh, next Wednesday, midday, um, you just call Caroline and you can stop by the church and she'll run out of your car with one. And then we're delivering some. Good. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, I think we are ready. Okay, I'm going to mute. <laughs> okay, so everybody but Carol should mute themselves. And um, I will do kind of a little opening, and then Carol and I will have time and interview, and then hopefully you all will have comments, questions, um, and we'll we'll finish up. So um, so here we go. Welcome friends to Spirit Seekers on Friday, January 29th. My name is Lucy Samara and I serve First Congregational Church as the communications coordinator and host of Spirit Seekers. And today I am so happy to welcome our special guest, Carol Tandy, somebody who I've known for uh, quite a while, around 20 years, I guess, uh, Carol, and I've had the chance to work really closely with. So I, I uh, Carol and I, like I do with uh, Spirit Seekers guests, have had a chance to have a conversation, and um, and I came out of that conversation understanding again what a smart and faithful person Carol is, and she she is analytical. So I uh, I found a quote that I think is both analytical, and then a, there's a little paragraph about it in this. Uh, this is called today's gift daily meditations for families. And I thought this was both analytical and funny. So see what you think. <laughs> so the quote is by uh, Charles R. Brown. So it's by Charlie Brown, funny thing, number one. <laughs> Actually, this Charles Brown was a uh, Admiral in the Navy. Um, he, he was born in, uh, I think 1899, right at the end of the last century and, um, or two centuries ago, I guess. At any rate, he, um, he was, he was known for a lot of, uh, you know, his military career, but within that, he was really anti uh, using nuclear weapons. So here's his quote. Everyone has their own fingerprints. The white light streams down to be broken up by those human prisms into all the colors of the rainbow. Take your own color in the pattern and be just that. We are often amazed at how different members of the same family seem to be. Contrasts are great. One child might be loud and funny, one might be timid and quiet, and yet neither seems to take after the parents. A family is like a vegetable garden. This is, I mean, right at this point, I, when I was, <laughs> I was laughing. A family is like a vegetable garden. The vegetables respond to outside influences. The one exposed to more sunlight will grow differently than the one growing in a damp, shady place. Vegetables growing in crowded areas of the garden may not be as developed as those around them, but they might be tastier. <laughs> Although we may have common roots, 
outside experiences and friends mold us too, making each of us unique. We sometimes lose ourselves by comparisons and feel as if we don't belong, but the variety of our family garden is what makes the world so interesting. And then the question for that day is, um, and this is actually for January 30th, tomorrow, how can I honor another person's uniqueness today? So my goal in this time is to honor your uniqueness and your unique journey, Carol, by inviting you to share your story with us. So Thank tell you for us the about, invitation. <laughs> tell us about where you grew up and about your early life. I mean, our goal is to really explore how you became a person of faith about your faith journey, but also to really hear the, the big events in your life journey. Mm -hmm. Okay, I uh, grew up in... Boulder, I was born and grew up in Boulder, Colorado. I was there all through my life until my very last year of college. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I have a problem with hoarseness, it seems. <laughs> and the last year of my college uh, degree was in Denver at the medical center uh, to become a physical therapist. So I was there a long time and I grew up in the Baptist, American Baptist church and uh, my family which was very uh, oriented towards church going. Uh, my parents had met each other at CU where I went to school, Colorado University at the BYO, the Baptist Youth, no BYF, Baptist Youth Fellowship. That's where they met. And I think that's where dad's parents met also in a Baptist youth group. So this is a long history. <laughs> and uh, we went to, my mother was also the church organist there for 25 years. Uh, her degree was in organ at CU. My dad was an electrical engineer and mom taught piano lessons and played at the church for so long till we would always go as a family to the Sunday schools and then to the church service. And at that time there was also a Sunday evening uh, fellowship dinner, which included a potluck dinner every week. It was fantastic. That's where my love of potlucks developed, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I didn't know that you were a lover of the potluck dinner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything on a buffet at a potluck that particularly says this is going to be a successful one to you? Any type of food, you mean? Yeah. Uh, just a great variety of foods. You know, everything from vegetables, there's needs to be fruit and there often isn't any kind of fruit. Uh, I really appreciate that. There's usually lots of proteins, too many, way too many carbos. Because well, we try to Carol, watch that in our diet. When we go back to potlucks at First Congregational, I'm going to take up my old habit, which was bringing grapes. And I'll know <laughs> that you'll, you will like that. <laughs> yes. No way. recipe needed. <laughs> <laughs> So um, did you have siblings growing up? Yep, I have two younger brothers. Um, they're five and a half and six and a half years younger than I. So we're not you know, close in age, but our family unit was always really tight, uh, really good family upbringing. We always spent a lot of time together. In the summer, we would go camping, fishing, hiking. Uh, in the winter, we'd go ice skating up in the mountains at an outdoor uh, lake. Uh, which was a commercial entity. Uh, and my brothers never went to college. Uh, they did their own thing. And we were all, I felt, accepted as individuals. 
you know, in my family. We just had a really good family culture. And I still have the sense that it was always the most important thing in my parents' lives was to maintain our family unity and strength. And that helped me a lot through the years, I think. Yeah, I, I thought I think this is a really compelling part of your story because your your parents um, went through a, sort of a change in their theology at a certain point. Yeah, they did. It was really scary to me. Um, they were in their late fifties. Uh, I was probably in my late thirties then at that time, and they became uh, born again Christians, evangelical Christians, and it wasn't just a change in beliefs or behaviors exactly, they had a total emotional overhaul. Just totally emotionally went for this uh, type of belief system. And it was so scary because it seemed like it was out of control. They were acting, my mother especially was acting like she was high on something all the time. And she would say, oh, I'm just feeling so good. And I'm just floating and these kind of things. This was from a distance. I was living in Vermont then. Uh, she would tell me about these things and I just thought, ooh, you know, that doesn't, I'm not an emotional kind of person, at least not in a face-to-face -face, uh, confrontation with people. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also during the time of the uh, Jim Jones uh, debacle of the, all of the people dying from uh, self, you know, from suicide, drinking that horrible Kool-Aid, staying with their leader. And I was so afraid they were getting caught up in something really strange like that. I didn't know what to expect. Because my dad was always such an objective scientific person, you know, in his outlook on life and very knowledgeable and intelligent in many fields. And here he was, it seemed to me like going off the deep end. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a scary thing. There, um, when we were discussing it before, it seemed like dis despite that and your fears about that, they were consistently loving towards you and ac accepting who you are as a person. Oh, they were, yes. Um, certainly they never shunned me or they wanted me to be a part of it all was the thing. They wanted to save everybody in their circle, everybody in the family, every, all their friends, all their church people. Mm -hmm. You know, they immediately wanted, well, not immediately, but they wanted to save everybody. And they would tell me that if I, not in a threatening way, but just in a gentle educational way that if I didn't get saved like they were, that I wouldn't be with them in heaven. Everyone else would be there but me. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is challenging. I want, let's go back to your childhood time. I, I, um, I, there was no professional musician in our family, but um, at working at the church and bringing my kids to church and church was every Sunday and mom has a task, you know, or many, <laughs> and they had a task often waiting for mom. Um, you know, I could kind of relate to you and I was, of course, touched that you expressed it in, in such a joyful way. I'm not sure my kids were always as happy <laughs> hanging out waiting for me. Um, but I, I, I want you to just think about that time and how did it translate into an expression of uh, faith in God for you? How were you? How did you explore your faith as a child and teenager? Oh, well, I was a member of the uh, youth groups, uh, always, you know, going through Sunday school. And when I got to the high school level, 
Uh, we had a trip uh, system of every spring vacation, spring break, just like our YES program. Uh, we would go uh, to what we called Indian Reservation somewhere in the west there, southwest. Usually it was uh, New Mexico or Montana. I went to Montana once to a Crow Indian Reservation with our youth group. Uh, and we would have a project list, you know, and we'd spend time with the people and help them as much as we could and enjoy, you know, as much as we could out of the experience. It was definitely sharing faith and not just doing work, but it was related to sharing both ways so that we could learn about them and they could learn that we had support for them. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, that was a, a big thing in my life. It was so exciting because I was always uh, very shy and kind of withdrawn and reaching out, getting out into such a different kind of uh, culture mm -hmm. was really interesting and fun for me. And that's great. Um, I think that those experiences can really, you know, broaden us as people, have us imagine ourselves in different environments with different things that we can do. Um, it, you had a friendship with it, with uh, a girlfriend um, where you explored some faith together. Can you talk a little bit about her? I, I don't know that I wrote down her name. No, I don't, I don't want to say her name either. I may oh, okay, accidentally, but. Yeah, don't say your name. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I will call her right off. I'll tell you, I will call her my first love. <laughs> um, I met her in one of these, uh, during one of these trips, I became more acquainted with her in our Baptist youth group. I, I was 17, she was a year older. And we just became more and more good friends and really serious uh, friends. And we studied the Bible together. We read books and talked about them and participated in all the church activities. Uh, and it just became totally intertwined with my church experience, you know, sort of like the two strands of the DNA that become totally <laughs> intertwined. And, and that ran together through the rest of my life because I developed a relationship with her that the church was already saying was an abomination. And I knew, you know, at, at that time, the more in my high school level, and especially in college, the more I read about it, you know, I was, a, I was illegal, I was immoral, I was a psychological association disorder, you know, that needed treatment, and all those kind of things that were in my age frame back in that time, because this is in the 60s, hmm. at that point. I graduated from high school in 62. And so I had those problems, you know, to deal with. I didn't ever feel that God was really feeling that I was abhorrent. Somehow I kind of held that in reserve that God thought I was okay, but it was people, people who didn't. Mm -hmm. So it was really a hard thing to deal with. I sort of compartmentalized myself, I think, from that point. Yeah, I mean, at that at that time, um, your who you were as a woman really had to be a secret. It did. Yeah, I was so terrified my parents would find out, and I'd be a big disappointment to them, and I didn't want to do that. And it was just knowing all of the bad things that I read that were real happenings. Um, people were tormented, you know, who were homosexual. And I began to understand more and more that that was really my true inner orientation. Mm -hmm. And so I, I couldn't just, I couldn't take the chance of telling them either. You know, I wish I could have, but I couldn't. Mm -hmm. I was just afraid that something would happen. I, I, and also um, my first love had 
uh, another friend before me, another girlfriend before me, and, and she was a high school student and she died. Uh, and part of the reason of that, probably the main reason was because she and my friend were, dis were discovered, quote unquote, when they were together. And the parents all freaked out, all four parents, and they made them you know, never see each other again. And they made this other girl go to see a psychologist and try to change her. And it was just too much for her. She was all broken up about it. I never talked to her about it, but I learned about it from my friend, you know, from my first love friend. Uh, and she committed suicide by poor diabetes management, essentially. She just couldn't stand the pressure. So tragic, Carol. Um, I know I went to, I left for college in the fall of 1971, and I, I went to uh, the University of New Hampshire. And I knew nothing about uh, same-sex relationships going into college. Now, about five seconds after I got there, <laughs> I my eyes started to be open and the, um, the student government recognized the gay student organization at the university and the governor of New Hampshire, Meldon Thompson, threatened to remove funding from the university because of it. And I got involved with a student organization that had a fabulous, wonderful uh, gay couple who was running a film series and I got to know them and my education changed rapidly. But one of the things I think was in my experience and I, I don't really know if it was in yours and that was that one generation, what, maybe they were so much fear and prejudice that they just weren't educational. They didn't teach us about the variety of human experience and connection. And, um, and I, th I think that that must have just increased that isolation. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm sure. It made you know, no one want to come out, so to speak, come out of the closet and say, well, this is what you should know about us. You know, we're just ordinary people and doing ordinary things basically, and we're not threatening. You shouldn't be afraid of us. But people did that sometimes too far and the other extreme, I think, becoming activists and that turned more people off that way. So it was a hard, hard road to hoe. I would say, um, I wanna just skip ahead a little bit since we're on this <clears throat> yeah. topic and you're so generously sharing with us. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, really, um, it's really important sharing that you're doing. Um, mm -hmm. When the, First Congregational Church was talking about becoming open and affirming and, and going to that level of voting about that. Mm -hmm. um, you were a complete gift to me. Um, we were at the Vermont Conference uh, UCC gathering and, and we both went to a workshop where a minister was talking about, you know, how to guide congregations through this process. And there was a naivete about me that just didn't understand what it would be like to be voted about. <laughs> and um, you were pretty clear that that, you know, that 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 was uh, a, a really challenging aspect of this, that yes, educating the congregation, yes, being open and affirming, but the process to get there. 
Can you share a little bit about what that ended up being like for you at First Church and the, the process and how you ended up feeling about it? Uh, yeah, maybe I should even go back a little bit because I had, um, I don't know how far to go back, but I had gotten away from the church. Uh, I was away from a church for 40 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I just decided I couldn't meld the two. I was afraid, you know, if I tried to change myself, it would just rip my heart and soul out and I couldn't do that. Uh, so eventually I did more self-study and I kept feeling as I got older, something was missing. I knew something was missing in my life and it was religious. It was religious knowledge, expression and action. And so actually when Martha and I were uh, here in the, <clears throat> excuse me, you got a glass of water. <laughs> when Martha and I were looking at churches, so to speak, uh, I wanted to find a church that it would be okay, you know, that we were that we were a gay couple. You know, I could be myself, we could be ourselves, and I would be accepted. That was so important to me. And and then it was 9-11 happened. Uh, and that's what really turned me around towards finding some place, you know, to join forces to find a church family. Uh, the more I thought about it, it was just so horrible. I couldn't understand what happened, why it happened, why we got bombed, why so many people could be so bad and just kill people like that. And anyway, through all of the, like everyone was doing, I'm sure at the, at the time, trying to analyze what happened and what can we do about it mm -hmm. uh, as an individual. And I finally came around to a really simple sounding solution, love. Only love can really fight that kind of evil. And then I thought, well, the church is where you do that. You join forces because God is love and that's supposed to be Christ is love and set the examples. And that's where we're supposed to focus you know, our efforts. And I decided if I can't do this now, then when, you know, if I can't do it here in this church, where could I ever do that? Uh, so that's how I joined and then I'm getting way away from your question, I think, Lucy, but once, no, I, go. once I joined, I found, you know, all the really fantastic things that this church is doing. All the people are good, and I've just made so many good friends, and it's literally a second family, and that's how I got started here. I, it was about 20 years ago, right at the time I was ready to retire. I had more time to do things, and think, yeah. Does that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I want to reflect on two things, okay. and um, so we and we can we can go back and and talk about your scientific side, but oh, okay. uh, let's skip ahead a little bit. And it's uh, let's see, 2012, I believe, and uh, First Congregational Church is taking part in the Pride Parade for the first time, and. Oh. Um, I was all gung-ho and we, you know, we got the banner and there was a group of us and, and you were there walking and I've had, had the privilege of walking in the Pride Parade several times with you. And each time you just said something to me about the experience that touched my heart so much about what it, what it's like to walk up Church Street with literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people walking and lining, you know, the, the size of the parade and cheering. 
and to feel one acceptance, but to feel like it's safe enough to be out and to be yourself. And uh, for me, it was a real privilege to be able to walk with you and to just, you, you let me feel some of that, ex the experience that you were having. And you know, I was very touched by it and it, it made that experience meaningful. I'm seeing Bruce Hewitt listening here. And the last time we all got to walk together, Bruce wore a free dad hugs t-shirt. <laughs> Somebody gave him like right as the event was starting and he said, oh, I'll wear that. And he was just like hugging everybody all, all the way up the street. Anyway, it was a great experience. Um, the other thing is, so you joined the church after 9-11, 9-11 yeah. was 2001. And in 2004, um, I called you to say that a uh, Congolese family would be arriving soon with uh, three uh, little children. And uh, would you be part of the team to help greet them and to help, you know, help them get settled? And uh, I, I, asked you to go to the airport and for some reason I was not available to go along with you <laughs> for those of you just listening you have to see Carol just shook her finger at me so I want you to tell people what that was like to be asked to do something that hard and to have your support person <laughs> not go with you well it shows how naive I was right Lucy <laughs> sorry but I was willing to give it a try I think I agreed to be a transporter to give them rides a, a ride from there to where they were first staying and then other rides as needed kind of it was kind of vague Lucy I believe yep. at that time <laughs> but of course I got caught up in it and uh, the first problem was at the and, and I prayed about it because I, I was really uncertain what I was going to do when I was at the airport there. I kept praying more than I remembered for a long time. What do I do? You know, they can't communicate with me. I can't communicate with them. Um, and then I was just mulling this over and, and uh, I saw them coming down the ramp. Finally, eventually, they were the last ones off the plane. I was getting more and more nerved up. Uh, and I saw them all and it was just mind-boggling to see this family with their very few possessions, their kids, and it was just, I don't know, I was just drawn into the whole scene, and uh, I didn't run away. <laughs> I knew I couldn't, <laughs> and uh, I looked around, and one of the kids was missing, and I didn't know how to ask them, you know, where didn't you have, I think it was a four, wasn't it four or five anyway, however many children they had, isn't, don't you have another one? You know, how do you ask this? <laughs> and then uh, the mother was lying. She just turned around and pointed at her back. The baby was in the back pack, you know, the blanket, the shawl in the back, all cozy against her mom. Mm. I, oh, you know, and that was the beginning of my cultural education, I would say, <laughs> with that culture. Uh, so meanwhile, Lucy hadn't shown up yet and, uh, I was thinking, well, let's see, we can, we can go down. We don't need to get any baggage, but we need to find a place to wait. And so they brought the bags that they had carried with them and just tried to talk, you know, and smile and act friendly and just kind of was looking around, you know, where's Lucy? <laughs> and she came along. They, um, that family 
I mean, that was that was a first experience for us. We had done, uh, the church overall had been involved with Bosnian resettlement for quite a while, but that was the first Congolese family that we had worked to resettle and really a large group formed around them. And, uh, and many of those people stayed involved with that family for quite a while. Um, but Carol and I were there at the beginning and uh, we, we <laughs> worked with that family for 15 years. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. 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 It developed into a friendship. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. You know, there are a lot of a lot of different help and support things that they needed done, not just transportation. That's for sure. Sure. So, Carol yeah. has spent countless hours doing uh, detailed government paperwork. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, so let's go back to. Uh, you know, the point you went to college, you knew you oh. wanted, you decided to go into physical therapy. And, um, and I, I, I actually like the story. I like the story that you shared about how you decided to do that. I think it's an important example of, oh. of education. Uh -huh. Okay. Well, uh, I was in high school when uh, a trip became available and a bunch of us who wanted to could uh, take a bus trip uh, from Boulder to Denver and take a tour through a hospital uh, there and, and visit. It was, a, it was the purpose of occupational exploration and take a tour through this uh, big hospital and see different areas of uh, focus, see, meet some different people and hear what their stories were about their jobs in the hospital. Uh, so talk to uh, a nurse, a PT, an OT, somebody in the lab. Uh, I don't remember if we talked to a social worker. Uh, I think it was more directly patient care type things. Uh, and then went back home. And that's pretty much when I decided that I really didn't want to be a nurse after all, I wanted to be a PT. And so I decided in high school on this course, I also loved all the coursework that showed up in the booklet, but the curriculum was very dense uh, and prescribed uh, with science courses. And that was what I liked, except for trig. <laughs> Uh, and so it was good. That's what I did. So as a as a person who self describes as as being uh, more of an introvert, you chose a profession that involved a lot of direct contact with people. <laughs> yeah, I did. So how did you? It also is very scientific, right? So mm -hmm. how how did you bridge that in yourself? Because that that must have been a challenge. Yeah. Uh, I think God must have called me to do that. It must have helped me. <laughs> but uh, I just, I sort of learned. I got more confident in myself. Of course, the more I practiced as a physical therapist uh, and saw that I could do these things that I really wanted to do. And people got better in some cases, really thanked me. And, you know, they participated in the programs that I wanted them to do. And that just made it all possible. So. I began to be more social and more relaxed with them and the, the patients I really enjoyed working with. I could, I could sit and talk with them, you know, and where at first I couldn't, I'd have to just leave them like if they were taking a rest period from working on uh, walking or something like that. They'd take a rest period sitting down and I'd disappear <laughs> at first. And I'd, I'd bustle around and do some things and I'd come back in a few minutes. I just didn't know how to sit there and be a sociable person which seems kind of odd now. I've come a long ways, I think. Um, and it helped me, you know, grow up in that respect. 
become much more socialized. What brought you to Vermont, Carol? Uh, a pen pal. I came to Vermont. <laughs> and we were together for a while up in Highgate. And uh, then I met Martha. And that started my real life as an adult and as a, you know, companion to someone that I wanted to be with for my whole life. So it was just wonderful to meet her. And I felt like I was, I was at the top of the world because I had the three things I could imagine when I was a 17 year old kid that I had a good job, I could have a home of my own and someone to love me and someone to love. Those are the main things. Now, Carol, you forgot about the fourth thing because if anybody who's a Facebook friend with you knows that you love cats. Cats. So, oh yeah, that's, that's how we met. That's how so Martha and I met. <laughs> yeah. Would you please tell how you met Martha? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, I commuted from uh, Highgate, Swan. No, yeah, Highgate uh, first uh, with someone who worked in the lab. And then uh, she worked with Martha who worked in the lab, clinical laboratory scientist at the medical center. And so uh, she introduced me to Martha and Martha was looking for uh, kittens to give her sister for her birthday, just happened to be. Now, how does that just happen? <laughs> anyway, uh, Martha came up to uh, Highgate there where I was living and I had a, a litter of four kittens, I think, that I wanted to sell. They were Siamese cats. And so uh, we got acquainted a little bit there and we just, struck it off so well together. It was, it was amazing. We just had a very good relationship from the beginning, had a lot of common interests, trusted each other and we had a lot of fun. We did a lot of interesting things for fun, like camping and fishing even, until we were getting too old to enjoy that. <laughs> um, but that was really when it all happened. And, and that was 50 years ago. 50 this is the 50th year for Martha and I. Yeah. Wow, that that's uh, that's quite a testimony to love and to and to cats. It was a God-given love. I really believe it was. Hmm. It was just so so good. Carol, it's really consistent in your story that even when people are disappointing, you have seen and felt God's presence in your life. You know that 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 reality of God has God has been there for you. Mm -hmm. um, as somebody who felt as as alienated and left out and afraid to come out, to to know that God was was there with you in in bringing you together with Martha, that's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a real testimony of faith. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think of you so often as a as somebody who said has said. Well, I'm grateful for the number of times you have said yes to me when I have asked you to do all kinds of things. Um, and that, that picture of you and the promotion for Spirit Seekers where you were had on your gear was to go to Moortown to clean up after Hurricane Irene. Yeah, incredible that, experience. That, oh, it, it, it was amazing. And we were not spring chickens out there. <laughs> oh. And uh, I, can you just, I mean, that was, it was quite a day. Do you have any reflections about that time? Well, it was so awesome in a bad way to see the destruction that a flood can do, to see it up close. It was incredible to see how these people were devastated. Their homes were ruined. 
you know, when we were cleaning out there, uh, one place had just been finished in complete redecoration and they were going to sell it. And the river came up so high and it couldn't fit through the concrete uh, barriers on the sides of a bridge. And so the river just piled up, 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 up. So the debris, when we got there, the river had gone through and finished. When we got there to help them, there was debris in the trees way above where you could reach. It was just incredible to see, to imagine how, how were they coping with it? Equipment from the fire department, boots and things were way, way, way up high in the trees. Yeah. I mean, you just couldn't, um, you, to picture the water being that high. Mm -hmm. um, there were quite a few of us that day, 20, 25, yeah. who were out at different sites in, uh, in Waitsfield and in Moortown. Mm -hmm. And what, one of the things I remember is how hard everybody worked and it was heavy work, lots of yeah. mud and um, moving debris and huge branches. And all day long, I, you know, I was cheerful, but I was really worried about somebody getting hurt. And yeah, yeah. I remember talking to you about it at the end of the day. It's just like, everybody seems all right. It just felt like a, a miracle to me. And yeah. And then you went back. We There was a family in Waterbury that we mm -hmm. helped restore their home. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were there uh, for that project too. Um, I feel like mm -hmm. I should have a picture of it to show all of you. It was really quite, quite something. There was a, mm -hmm. a group of eight or 10 from church and some folks went back several times. One of our youth went back and, and uh, painted the bathroom there. I mean, Carol, you have just said yes over and over and over to a myriad of projects at church. And, um, you know, I, everybody's grateful for the kinds of work that you've done because it's had such a wide range. How has that connected with your, with your faith development at this point in your life? Well, I'm really good that I, that I have these avenues that, you know, I, that come upon me. People ask me to do or something happens, some kind of way to volunteer or to help with things. I'm glad to have that outlet because to me, that's the essence of being a Christian, you know, inspired by Christ and trying to follow as much as we can to treat people well around us. Uh, so it just reinforces, I think, because usually when we do these things, I shouldn't just focus on myself, but when we do these projects, there are other people around that also come from different churches, different places, you know, like at the Irene uh, cleanup places. It's so inspiring to see what people can do when you get together with some people that really care and they may not have skills that are directly applicable at all, but they can just pitch in and find something to do, you know, like we were all doing. Mm -hmm. and, and that that bolsters my feeling I think my problems with religion are more that I can't get really excited about dogma uh, and worrying about the fine definitions of things you know and, and I don't know all of the all of the special days in the church still and I finally decided I'm just going to have to accept that I don't know all of this I never have sorted it out and it's probably okay you know <laughs> Um, but it still makes me guilty at times that I don't feel more connected to the process of the church or being a church and process of being a religion. That part of the cultural aspects, I just don't care too much about, mm -hmm. which is maybe bad to say, but that's the way it is. 
You know, I, I, I really believe that it takes people with a whole range of interests. And while you were saying that, the sun just got brighter and brighter and brighter on the wall behind you. <laughs> oh, it's behind me? <laughs> yeah, as you were saying, you know, that stuff doesn't interest me so much. And I'm just, I'm going to be, uh, it was like you were just starting to glow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad it wasn't like a dark cloud behind me or lightning, anything. <laughs> you know, there, there's... I just want to ask you about one special interest that I have in your volunteer experience. Uh, and it's something so endearing that I have told my granddaughters who are old enough to understand about it because <laughs> it's, it's reflects both an interest in science and life and appreciation for life. And that's the work that you did assisting with caring for um, abandoned little squirrels and skunks. And oh yeah. Animals. <laughs> valuable wild animals. Can you just talk about why that and, and about what it means to you? Sure. Uh, it's based on my love of animals, which is a common thing, I guess, but I've felt that all through my life. Uh, and I just feel that animals need people to look, look out for them and to speak for them because they can't speak for themselves and they have no defense against people that are mean and, and don't care at all about animals or have totally different ideas about animals, even being able to feel pain, for example. Oh, I better not get off on that track. <laughs> that makes me irritated. Uh, so in my volunteer work early on after I retired, I tried to balance uh, doing some volunteer things for people and some for animals. And I was uh, doing volunteer work at the Humane Society and helping um, a wildlife rehabilitator. That's what uh, you're referring to, Lucy. Uh, who was raising orphaned tiny little animals. <clears throat> Boy, excuse me, sorry. Um, she she uh, took rescued animals that other people had rescued, or in some cases, she was also the rescuer. Um, babies who usually had lost their mothers because of a car accident or being left behind or a tree was uh, fallen without care to see if there was any squirrel nests in it or try to get them out or different accidents happen or shot. Uh, animals got shot by people and they had little babies behind and so she would raise them. And I, she was especially uh, interested and good at doing rabies vector animals. So that was the really, I could say really cute ones, I guess, the raccoons, uh, the little foxes, the skunks, those are my favorites, and the uh, woodchucks. At that time, they were in the rabies vector group, and she was so good at her job. You know, she she's a, a vet tech, and she has a license from the state to do this work. And she works with the state uh, people also to try to get good systems in place for the state of Vermont uh, to have good rat animal rehab programs. And she works on her own. She didn't want any volunteers. Uh, she told me she'd never had any volunteers. <laughs> She just didn't want to deal with that. But, and I felt like I was really on tenter hooks here <laughs> talking to her, but I was offering her a, a place because Martha and I had some land in Fletcher and I was offering our, our land up there for her to use as a release site because what she does is to raise the little animals until they're able to cope on their own in their own wild environment. And she needs to let them go somewhere in the same county where they came from, according to state law. And uh, that's what she does. She finds just the right balance between tender, loving care when they're tiny babies and they need support 
and they need, they need to be cuddled and feel warmth. And uh, they, it benefits their whole development early on, but then there's a point when it has to be carefully noticed and pushed to be less and less dependent on people, of course. And, and she stays away, you know, towards the end of their rehabilitation, they're outside in big, beautiful habitat cages that she's designed and had built. And she hardly sees them, you know, she feeds them at night and, or no, I guess she feeds them in the, in the day because they're mostly nocturnal hunters, a lot of those, so. Anyway, she's a wonderful person, wonderful friend now still after all this time. And uh, she's also one of my very good Christian friends. So I appreciate working with her a lot. Well, one of my granddaughters who's very interested in wildlife is mm -hmm. looking forward to at some point post COVID meeting the goddess of baby squirrels and, <laughs> All right. and that would be you, Carol. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you so much for the beautiful sharing that you've done. I just, I want to invite everybody who's here, if anybody has a question or a comment, something they'd like to say to Carol or ask her. Um, looks like Donna's unmuted herself. Yeah, um, Carol, I'm, I'm particularly, um, moved by the fact that you said during the time when when people were treating you like an abomination you knew inside of yourself that that isn't how God felt about you and I, I'm I'm so um, thankful that you knew that and that you mm -hmm. carry that with you through that whole awful experience and until you got to a point and a time in your life and to a church where you yeah. know that 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 isn't how people feel. Yeah. Um, I, I, maybe I should clear one thing up, Don. I wasn't actually treated that way. I knew that's what it said in the Bible because we had the yeah. King James version of the Bible mm -hmm. at that time. But you had to know that there were people who believed that and felt that. True. You know? That came came up even in our fight for civil rights, civil marriage rights here in Vermont. Yeah. People still think that. Yeah. Yeah. But that you never, you never lost the fact that God didn't feel that way about you, and I'm, I'm particularly moved by that. Um, also, I just, you might have seen me laughing when you were describing your experience with the Congolese family and how Lucy sucked you into doing that. <laughs> yes. Believe me, I know and share that experience with you. <laughs> Nobody can get a volunteer like Lucy can get a volunteer. That's right. <laughs> uh, we had some great adventures and I've, I've learned the value of saying yes 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 and also I just like to share my own personal experience with you in that I I I know you describe yourself as an, an introvert and shy and more on the quiet side but you have the loveliest of sense of humors and if people get up close and personal with you they'll they will see that in you so that's kind of what I would like to share well, thank you, Donna. <laughs> yeah. Does anybody else have a comment or a question? Um, Carol, at yes. one point. Oh. Carol, you also okay. have a great love of sports. Basketball. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, right. that's, that's where I really got um, in intrigued with being your friend was at the basketball games. I'd always see you coming down the 
the walkway there. There she is. Yeah. Maggie and I were right there. <laughs> I know. It's been a hard year, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it has. It's really tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carol, Carol I, oh, go did ahead. your parents ever, oh, I'm sorry. Did your go parents ahead. ever, um, did you ever have a chance to, to have a reconciliation kind of thing with your parents or did they ever got to a point where they could, could know and accept you for who you are? Well, uh, yes, it was kind of a, a gradual thing. Uh, actually, I finally, I wrote them one letter to really explain uh, my relationship with Martha and how serious it was and how longstanding it was. Uh, so I could be really upfront with them, at least in my side of it. And they really never pressured me, you know, to change. Not with, and even with Martha and I, whenever we would visit, they were always good to us. You know, and, and dad said he loved Martha once. And I knew that they were genuine in that. And finally, at the, the end of their lives, you know, they, they were still evangelicals. But dad was very keen on letting me know once uh, that he had just found some information uh, that led him to believe that he could somehow make a kind of like, uh, I don't know the right words to use, but kind of like make a pact with God that I would be included on their family somehow, miraculously, after all of this time, you know, it came up that I would be included with my family so that I wouldn't have to worry about that anymore. Mm. I thought that was amazing that he could come around like that. You know, where did this yeah. come from? You know, that's his way of dealing with it. Mom was, mom was always good with us too, so. I was well, it came from love, Carol. It came from yes. love. Yes. Our family unity. Yep. That's Thank good. you for sharing your story, Carol. You're welcome. Yeah. And who's that little creature at your feet now or roaming around the room? <laughs> Can you see her? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh she's goodness. been in and out of the room. Oh. I can't tell from my own picture of me here. It's jazzy. Jazzy. <laughs> yeah. I see your cat pictures on the wall there, Pat. I know yes, I yes. <laughs> Maybe I can grab her here. <laughs> Anybody else have a question or comment? Libby, thank she you. Is. Oh, beautiful. Wow. Beautiful Siamese. Oh, my. <laughs> She's the old lady. Uh, we How many do you have, Carol? How many do you have? How many cats do you have? Just two. 14 year old, and we have an almost three year old wild man who's that a He's a tuxedo cat. <laughs> you know, his, his middle name is Mayhem. <laughs> so, thank you all so very much for gathering, and thank you, Carol, for your beautiful telling of your story and your faith and its connection to service. And um, I also feel, you know, you've really lifted up that the balance of science and faith that, that have really been important in your life. And um, I just want to really honor you for sharing your story and for so honorably sharing your parents' path also. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have, um, I have a little closing that I'm going to read. Um, 
And, but before I do, I want to, you all to know our, who our next two guests are. Um, Charlie Church will be our guest next Friday. And uh, Charlie is a really interesting person. And uh, he has been in First Church most of his life. He was baptized as a baby on Christmas Sunday in 1940. And uh, he was, he's only been away for five years. And uh, he, he's, music is a really important part of his life. He is a brilliant organizer uh, and uh, manager of projects and ideas. He's just a very interesting person with a lot of stories. He loves the church. And uh, I think that'll, it'll be really fun to, to see what, what um, direction he wants to take the conversation in. And then the following week, Caroline Crawford, who is currently president of our church during this, you know, really challenging time of all kinds of newness and new ways of doing things. Um, Caroline will be our guest and uh, she is uh, one of the assistants to the president at Middlebury College. She has a lot of background in higher education and writing. Um, she's a, a person of deep faith who's had had some really uh, challenging life experiences and some great joys also. Uh, so I look forward to having her be with us on February 12th. So uh, Carol, I purposely chose something at the beginning to be what I thought my version of a jolly opening. <laughs> Put you at ease. I'm gonna close with words from Mary Oliver um, that, uh, lift up the beauty of nature because I know in your, in your path, nature has really brought you close to God. This is Mary Oliver's poem, Messenger. My work is loving the world. Here the sunflowers, there the hummingbird, equal seekers of sweetness. Here the quickening yeast, here the blue plums, here the clam deep in the speckled sand. Are my boots old? Is my coat torn? Am I no longer young and still not half perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. The Phoebe, the Delphinium, the sheep in the pasture and the pasture, which is mostly rejoicing since all the ingredients are here, which is gratitude to be given a mind and a heart and these body clothes, a mouth with which to give shouts of joy to the moth and the wren, to the sleepy dug up clam, telling them all over and over how it is that we live forever. Amen. Thank you for being with us today, Carol. Thank you everybody for Thanks, joining us. Hi everyone. I'll see you Spirit Seekers next Friday. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Lucy. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh -huh.